from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Young man, I must tell you that you are very impertinent. Cut it out, Jenks said. Are you a policeman? No. He looked at the gun. Somehow he had to distract her, to make her look away. But the gun was fixed on him. Her grip was steady. There were no tremors, no quaverings of age. Miss Shaw was in her element now, the silver-plated pistol in her dainty, wrinkled fingers. Hello all, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, my name is Hunter, uh, and I will be one of the ferrymen um, on this journey into the works of Michael Crichton. I am joined, as always, by my co-ferryman. His name is Brian. Is that right? Sorry, sorry. That's that's the that's Roxy music. Uh, what's your name? Other ferryman? Jenks. No, no. That's the that's the character of the book. We talked oh, about shit. this. We talked uh, about this. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, you were Jenks. I'm Miss Shaw. No, 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 no. We, that's the character that you played. Ah, uh, um, Hugh. Ah, there we go. Yes, I am Hugh, you are Hunter, and this is the final installment of our series on Michael Crichton's first novel, Odds On, written under the pseudonym John Lange. First but not last written under that pseudonym. Certainly not the last book that Michael Crichton authored either. No. Now, Hugh, um, as we have discussed on the show... Each week we are accompanied by a signature drink, a signature snack. But this week is a little bit different, if I'm not mistaken. Why is that? Because it's the last chapter and we wanted to do something extra special. So we decided to eat and drink the same thing. Mm. Drink something that was inspired by something in the novel and also eat something that was inspired by something in the novel. For the drink, we have chosen Jenks's drink of choice. Mm. A drink favoured, at least according to him, by diplomats mm. because of its ability to enable a smoothness of tongue without overwhelming you with insobriety. It's something you can drink while still being able to talk. Actually, apparently it makes you even better at talking. Mm. Um, so you might have gathered I haven't drunk anything yet. That's why I'm kind of stumbling over my words. But once, once we get down to it, this will, go, this will go down like crystal. One of the greatest podcasts. Math. So that is the drink side of things. Now, tell us about the snack. Well, Hugh, uh, as we've related over the course of this book, uh, the character Miss Shaw, her one of her defining character traits, probably her second defining character, she has approximately two, I think, is that she is obsessed with the fruit of the banana tree. So we have both acquired a couple, in my case, literally a couple, in your case, figuratively, of bananas. Is that correct? Yes, but I, I want to take issue with the fact that you only have two bananas with you because the, the dominant issue of Miss Shaw is as a woman sitting beside a pile of bananas, right? Mm. And although 
at four bananas, uh, mine isn't exactly a pile either. It is certainly more of a pile than two. I've got them all bunched up in a bowl as well, so it looks like a lot of bananas, especially for one person. Oh, well, here you can... So I feel like I'm more in the spirit of uh, Miss Shaw this time around. Okay, well, do you want to talk about the brand of vermouth that you bought? Yeah, so I only had one option. Oh, yeah, because, I, had, I had a lot of options. Because the liquor store across from me um, was not well supplied when it comes to vermouth. Mm. So I only had one brand and a couple of different varieties of that brand to choose from. That brand was Cinzano. Mm. And I selected an extra dry vermouth. $17, not too bad. Assuming it's not great quality, but whatever. I spent a mere... Uh, I think it was. This was only uh, four dollars. <laughs> four dollars. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, but yours is like a half bottle, right? Yes, it is a, uh, only a three hundred and seventy-five milliliter bottle. Right. Of. Oh, so not even half a liter. Uh, Martini and Rossi, sweet vermouth. Yeah. And Hugh, this is especially this is especially notable because there's an ad for this particular drink, and. The Jackie Chan film Meals on Wheels. The same brand, you mean? Yep. Wow. Same brand. I bought it because it was the only one that I recognized. It's a sweet vermouth. Um, is mm. it colored? Like, is it a red, dark color or is it clear? It is red. Mine's clear. Mm. Mine's like a really pale light wine color. Weird. Which I think is the style that Cinzano produces. I've never had straight vermouth in my life. I've only experienced vermouth in the context of uh, its role in a Manhattan Mm. That's about well, it. I have not even experienced it in the context of its role, so. There you go. Shall we uh, taste what vermouth tastes like? Are you ready? Let's 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 do Wait, it. Wait, let's first take a, a waft of that smell, okay? Yeah, smell it. Mm. Oh, fuck! It smells bad. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it smells very. It smells like it smells like herbs. Not a promising smell. Very sort of floral and perfumey, but kind of sickly yep. sweet at the same time. Yep, yep, that's it, that's it. It's, it smells like cough syrup, and... <laughs> it does not smell good at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, hopefully its taste is belies this. Okay. Are you ready to... Uh, this is extra dry. It's better to, be not sweet. It's going to be sweet, bro. Are you ready to tipple this? Yeah, let's go. Okay. That's pretty sweet. That's bad. <laughs> That's not a good drink. <laughs> well, it's the drink of it's the drink of uh, diplomat. So, the bouquet is extremely artificial and off-putting. Yep. yep. Even though it's uh, purported to be extra dry, it's still quite sweet. This is somehow both not, sweet, not a good drink, sweet and bitter <laughs> at the same time. So, but regardless of it being good or not, we have to consign ourselves to drinking it. Oh, awful. <laughs> Genuinely awful. <laughs> I don't want to like necessarily tar like top quality vermouth with the same brush that I'm tarring Chinzano with, but if this isn't all representative of what vermouth is, then I don't like vermouth. I can't. I can't say that this is very good either. What what percentage alcohol is yours? Uh, fifteen. Mine was fourteen. Hmm. Maybe mine's uh, a little bit stronger than awful. yours is. <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad. It does taste a little bit like cough Mine syrup. Is. Yours but... might be better. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well, you. Uh, I expect you to drink that entire bottle over the next half hour. Oh God. <laughs> All right. 
before we get started, we should uh, open up a banana too. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> it's really bad. It's not that bad. Oh, you're, you're just a baby. All right, I'm going to pick up a banana. All right, we're going to take a bite of the banana, and then we're going to put some vermouth in our mouths, too. <laughs> okay? Okay. The vermouth is the banana chaser. Yeah. Let's go. You ready? Yep. Let's bite. Okay. All right, now I've got some banana in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, Should I up. swallow or drink before I swallow? You got you got to uh, drink before you swallow. We have to chew it up a little bit so the flavor. Uh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Wow, the, the flavor of the vermouth is basically canceled out for me. <laughs> it was not for me. <laughs> it overpowered this banana, I tell you that. <laughs> I almost couldn't bring it to my lips because of the smell. <laughs> yeah, you have to, you have to man up, bro. We're doing this for Michael Crichton. Oh, fuck! <laughs> it's the sort of thing that, like, <clears throat> if I get sick from this bottle of vermouth, <laughs> it's gonna be like doubly worse. Like uh, coming up the, uh, the other end. Scent, like yeah, as it comes out and reminding me of what it tasted like. Oh god. Whereas if it's just like wine, you know, I don't mind the wine. Fucking hell. Well, you have to finish your bottle. Oh. So. Do I? Yeah. Wow. No, uh, you oh. don't have to. I don't mind if you pressure me. I, I, I feel bad pressuring you, but I'm happy to be pressured myself. Yeah, this stuff is uh, vile. You're starting to dislike it as well. <laughs> oh, I never did like it. But I don't think it's as bad as... You're saying so. Yeah, but you're not tasting the same drink. That's true, but I definitely get that the same flavor. Fucking hell! Oh, fucking hell! Man, he's got to keep drinking to get used to it, bro. And this is extra dry. Imagine if this was like the normal sweet one. Oh god. Maybe it'd be better if it was diluted a little bit. Well, you're supposed to have it with like soda and lemon juice. That would definitely temper it. Yeah, there you go. Sounds delicious to me. Um, I have. I don't have any soda. You have lemon juice. I do have a lemon. <laughs> Just put the lemon in the bottle. <laughs> no, you can't. You know tempering. You have to be like Jinx, man. That's that's why I didn't like prepare like any soda water or anything because I wanted to make sure it was straight for the episode. But now I regret that decision. What's great is that you're gonna you're gonna have this bottle of vermouth that you're never gonna finish. Whereas me, I only have a little bottle. Look, I'll finish it. Don't don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine you sitting there watching Seinfeld. On your week <laughs> off, drinking this drink that you hate, just every every second, just going. Ugh, ugh, <laughs> you watch another episode, but you uh, drinking and eating bananas is not the only thing we do on this podcast. It's not. We also talk about a book called Odds On, right? Ah, uh, yeah. We have we have but one chapter to get through, and it's not a very long chapter at that. It is not. I tell you what, look, like I've been criticizing the vermouth all this time. Um, and I haven't left any room to praise the banana, but I'll make space for that now. The banana was good. <laughs> the banana is better than the vermouth. How do you like your bananas? I like mine a little bit on the uh, not quite ripe side. So there's a bit a bit of tartness. To I'm a, I like mine pretty green. Yeah, me too. I like, I like a good tart fruit, so. Yeah, a ripe banana, like a really ripe banana, is not particularly pleasant, I don't think. Me neither. 
This would go down so much easier if I didn't have to smell it. <laughs> Just pinch your nose, bro. I'll try. That helped a lot, actually. That helped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> now you like vermouth. I need a peg. I'll put a peg on my nose for the rest of the episode. <laughs> uh -huh. well, let's, let's get to it. Let's talk, let's talk about this. this Alright, let's do it. Intrigue. Misogyny. Computers. Odds on. Let's make uh, So we need to recap. Where did, we, where did we leave off before we got to this climactic final chapter? So uh, it turns out that um, the heist was foiled, but not by the police, by another heist. What? And the ringleader was Mrs. Shaw, who led a team of Jean-Paul, Cynthia, and... Brady. Brady to, uh, you know, do some robbing. Yep. Uh, and Jinx has confronted her, and she has pointed a gun at Jinx, and that's where he left it off. So what happens next? They have a little chat, thief to thief, and then Miss Shaw thinks she's locking Jenks in the bathroom, mm. and then she's going to lock the door as she leaves the room proper. But Jenks, having studied the uh, inner workings of the hotel, knows that even though you lock the door from the outside, it is always able to be open from the inside just by turning the knob. So effectively, you can't lock anyone into anything. Do you think the computer told him that? I mean... This strange credulity with me a little bit because I think you would know that if you stayed in the hotel, right? Yeah, more than likely. But anyway, despite the fact that she had already outsmarted Jenks, um, she made a mistake here. So Jenks is like, yeah, fine. He lets her walk out of the, the room and then he quickly chases after her. And they have a dramatic action battle on the staircase. They do. Miss Shaw is armed with a poison-tipped umbrella with a steel blade at the end. I mean, Jenks theorizes that it has poison at its tip, but we don't actually know. They have an exciting battle up and down the stairs. Jenks advancing, Miss Shaw retreating, then aiming her poison-tipped umbrella at him, maybe poison-tipped umbrella at him, he retreating, etc., etc. Very exciting. You can imagine it being filmed. <laughs> Daniel. Probably wouldn't work that well. <laughs> what I don't understand is like how he got her to retreat. Like, what's he advancing with his fists against the steel blade of an umbrella? He just I don't know. He punches it. Uh. I couldn't quite I couldn't quite picture the mechanics of the fight scene very well. But anyway, this is it's going to and fro, back and forth, give and take, exciting, stab, thrust, dodge, parry, repeat, punch, punch, punch. He doesn't punch Michelle, but. Slap, slap, slap. Finally. Boom. They seem to, they seem to be at a stalemate, right? But finally he senses an opportunity. He dives forward. He knocks her to the ground. What does she do? What does she do, Hunter? She decides to toss the suitcase that has all the valuables over the rail. Yes, let's rewind. Uh, we missed a couple of plot points. So before uh, Miss Shaw exited, she's telling Jenks her plan. She says, I'm going to lock you in here. Take the jewels, and then I'm going to tell the hotel staff that the thief is up in my room. And right. the jinx will be blamed for the... Yeah. And they'll go in the room, they'll see that it's in a state of disorder, carefully managed by uh, Miss Shaw herself. They'll see that the gun is even there. When Jenks comes out of the bathroom, he sees that the room's in a state of disarray, and he's being set up. 
And then he was like, well, if I was going to do this, I'd also plant the gun as evidence as well. And then he goes, oh, there is the gun. But he doesn't take it with him. Yeah, I was kind of surprised about that. So essentially he goes after her just with his fists. But maybe he doesn't want to make a scene. So fair enough. Anyway, yeah. So we should just establish before the fight scene that we've already described happened. Miss Shaw was carrying a suitcase with all the valuables in it. The traveler's checks, the jewels, the money, whatever else she managed to acquire from the hotel. Right, and then uh, going back to where we were, Jenks flings her to the ground and then she flings the suitcase over the side of the railings of the staircase. And where does it go? Um, into the lobby? Yep, into the lobby of the hotel. Hits the ground, scatters its contents everywhere. Miss Shaw rises to her feet. She joins Jenks at the railings and they both look over at this scene of mayhem below the guests are now wondering what is going on why are their valuables scattered across the lobby floor and all the best laid plans are being foiled dun 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 then what happens da da is that is that right when i first saw you all right, all right, I'll continue, fine. I'll do the heavy lifting. Within me, I saw you standing there in the fog. So, after witnessing this horrific sight of everything he had planned for hitting the lobby floor, right? Jenks steps back from the railings, white as a ghost. You're white as a ghost, young man says Miss Shaw, as if she's reading my thoughts. And then and then Jenks says, how could you do it? As in, how could you throw away everything that we have both worked for independently? Like you just did. Mm. To which she responds, oh, nonsense. I won't listen to such rot. Come along with me and we'll have a nice spot of banana liqueur. Mm. And it was at this point in the chapter that I thought, wow, I wish I had read this chapter like a week ago and given myself enough time to secure some banana liqueur for this episode. (laughs) But alas, alas, I only came across this passage shortly before the recording. It's too bad. Banana liqueur sounds mighty good right now in the face of this fucking (laughs) vaulting vile. Banana liqueur sounds absolutely vile. I don't know what you're talking about. I like banana-flavoured things, and I like artificial banana-flavoured things to boot. Not not so much a fan. Speaking of which, I'm going to open up another banana right now. Mmm. Definitely dries out the mouth, doesn't it? Vermouth or banana? Bananas. Yeah. Mmm. Good banana. Banana. Keep narrating. I did my bit. What happens next? Where where are we? Uh, Miss Shaw has uh, invited Jenks to join her in uh, a spot of banana liqueur. Well, uh, they uh, stay at the bar and they sort of commiserate with each other a bit. Um... And, 
You know, they realize that they have a lot in common, and perhaps it would be better if they worked together. Well, that comes at the very end of the chapter, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, they talk some stuff. I don't know. They just talk about some, some dumb shit. It is worth saying that, like, when I first read the banana liqueur thing, I was like, oh, it would have been great to have banana liqueur for this chapter. That would have been so appropriate. Oh, it's a shame we didn't, you know, read this well in advance. Mm. And then as, it, as we get further into that scene where they actually are having the banana liqueur, we even get Crichton telling us the specific type of banana liqueur we should be drinking. Mm. Because Miss Shaw says, um, when she notices that Jenks is enjoying his banana liqueur, he actually develops a taste for it across this chapter. She says, you must remember always to specify Bowles banana liqueur. The Dutch make the finest by far. It's much superior to Marie Brizard and all the others. And uh, I was frantically searching for Bowles banana liqueur on my phone early this morning while I was reading this in bed to see if any of my local liquor stores um, stocked this particular variety, but alas, they did not. It's too bad. I did not uh, do any research into this, so... Mm. Frankly, I don't care. Alright, so, uh... Oh, fuck. Oh, we're so close to being done. This, this shitty book. It sounds like you already checked out a little bit, <laughs> to be honest. Look, it's been a long day. We just recorded uh, two and a half hours of podcast. So, <laughs> perhaps, uh, ready for it to be over. I'll try to perk up a little bit, though, just for you, bud. And the listeners. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, uh... They, um, yeah, they, they agree to become partners or something. I don't know. Who cares? That happens later. Like, you're jumping all over the place. No, I'm not. It happens at the end of this section. It doesn't. It does. Yeah, I mean, it sort of does. It does switch to Annette for a bit, and then it goes back to them. Yeah, but the, the section of the dead is totally oh, right, uh, right. useless. Yeah, right. It's just the... Fine, fine, fine. Essentially, what happens is, after imbibing uh, a few glasses of banana liqueur... Jenks, still in shock somewhat, perhaps somewhat inebriated, says to Miss Shaw, be my partner. Mm. He's obviously impressed by her abilities. She outsmarted him, after all. And, uh, you know, she is somewhat compliant to the idea. She gives him her address. Mm. Setting up a sequel, perhaps. Jenks and Miss Shaw. <laughs> that would be, be great. <laughs> What we'll do with this episode, we'll finish getting through the plot and then we'll talk about what we think of the chapter as a whole and what we think of the book as a whole quickly yeah, and finish let's, off. Let's, let's do it quick, though. Jesus, man. <laughs> it's 12 o'clock here, bro. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do anything. Neither do you. <laughs> I have to do more than you do. I'm tired. I woke up at like 8 o'clock this morning. No one cares. I do. This is, this is for the listeners. This is not for us. We have All to right, suffer come through. on. Let's go. Let's go. What's after this? Ugh. I'm. I'm here. I'm doing it. Fine. So we get to see with Peter and Jenny. Is that what you wanted me to say? Well, it's not going well, listeners. <laughs> Where Peter is uh, in the process of offering Jenny one more chance uh, to um, bend to his will, more or less. Is that is that right? They're eating uh, creme uh, caramel. Perhaps that'd be a good. We will we revisit this book in, in twenty years as our last series. Uh, we could eat 
Crib Cabaral. Or Caramel. I don't know how you pronounce it. Using your French. Is this uh, one of those times of flat circle things? Is in when we re- <laughs> we finish all of Crichton's bibliography, we yeah, just yeah. start from the start. <laughs> no, no, we just do odds on again. And then that's <laughs> it. But so they're eating these desserts, and Peter is like, uh, "Come with me, come with me, and we shall make love." He also tries to warn her against Jenks. He's like, "He won't leave with you." There's no chance he's gonna leave with you. He's gonna he's gonna love you and leave you, right? And he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna have, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with with Jinx and, and Peter's like, fine, I'll go to see Jopeth. You you won't be able to forget me. You'll come crawling back. And that's pretty much where we leave. Leave our good friend Peter. Ganson. Everybody. <sighs> I gotta refill my mouth already. Wow, you, you fucking love it, bro. You've got the bottle with you. I've just been pouring it into a glass, so I, I, have, to, I have to excuse myself very briefly. Oh, my God. <clears throat> you want me to drink this whole bottle? Yeah. Drink straight from the bottle, bro. Drink straight from the bottle? Yeah, why not? Actually, in terms of inhibiting the bouquet of a beverage, drinking from the bottle is quite good at that. Yeah. Because of, like, the funnel shape at the top, or the inverted funnel shape at the top. Yeah, but it is—it's a, a huge bottle. All right, and then it's don't do it. Just go, go fill your glass up. But it's up to you. I will if you say so. No, 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 no. Fine, I'm gonna fill my glass. I'll be go back. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, uh, uh, gonna open up a banana. Me too. My third banana. I've already be... surpassed you. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. Ah. <laughs> 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 All right, so so Jenny definitively denies Peter Ganson. And she seems strangely confident that uh, Jenks will take her with him when he leaves. Mm. All right, then we smash cut to uh, another Jinx scene. Uh, this time he's paired with Brian. And it turns out Brian has survived uh, basically unscathed uh, from his encounter with uh, Jean-Paul. By unscathed, you mean bedridden with a black eye. Is he bedridden? He's in Uh, bed, yeah. Yeah, well, only briefly. So, Jinx asks him what his next move is and Brian mentions that he might be going to the south of France his friend has an import export business that he's been trying to get him to join just an export firm whatever details are important no they're not and then ah fucking hell what (laughs) I'm doing it bro I'm doing the podcast no no this is just the vermouth it wasn't at you yeah okay and then uh, Annette replaces Jinx. Jinx leaves and Annette comes in. And um, uh, Brian thinks to himself uh, about forgetting what Jane. What a wonderful... <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> so he, uh, he's like, Jane, who the, who the hell is that? And then uh, it's like, hey, Annette, have you ever been to the south of France? And that's it. Yeah, well told. Scene, Brian. Hey, do you want to do it better, bro? 
Well, I can't narrate the whole chapter myself. <laughs> go, go ahead. You're, you're next. This is a two-hander. You're up. This is the final episode. It's a shambles. <laughs> you're up. The Vermouth has been so disappointing. <laughs> what, what else is it going to be but a shambles? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Come on. What's after that? <laughs> <laughs> all right, and so so basically, all right. Let me just quickly summarize this chapter. Uh, so the the jewels and the heist is lost for all concerned. When I initially heard about like, when I initially got to the section, let me say that again. When I initially got, to, <laughs> when I initially got to this section where the jewels fall on the lobby floor and are scattered everywhere. I thought maybe there was going to be like a third group of thieves and that was part of their plan and they were the hotel detectives that were in on it or something like that. But no, that's the end of the heist, right? Mm. The end point of the heist. Miss Shaw beat them to it, but then all the jewels get scattered on the floor and they'll eventually be returned to the uh, customers of the hotel. Who stays at the hotel? Is it customers? Is it patrons? Stayers? Um, residents? Residents? What I don't know. People who stay at the hotel, they'll get their jewels back, they'll get their traveler's checks back, they'll get the cash back, right? It's all going to be good for them, eventually. So that's the end of the heist. So we're winding down the novel, and yeah. Michael Crichton is jumping between the three principal male protagonists to see how their particular stories end. Mm. So we left Jenks with Miss Shaw downing banana liqueur, that's true. We left him. We left him leaving Brian. That is completely true. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I just talked about how sorry, he was talking to Brian. Goes, no, no, no. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself as well as behind myself because after he leaves Brian, he goes back to the bar and drinks more banana liqueur. Yeah, so. He doesn't do it with Miss Shaw. <laughs> Not with Miss Shaw. Yes, that's true. But yeah, Miss Shaw has given him a taste for banana liqueur. So after he leaves the encounter with Brian. He goes down to the bar and starts drinking banana liqueur. We'll pick up that story momentarily. Mm. At the moment, um, we know that Brian is going to stay on at the hotel. He has an exchange with Annette to that effect, right? Yep. And then, then he's going to go join their business and that's it. And he asks Annette, how do you like the south of France? So obviously he's now invested in the whole Annette Brian. What happened to Jane? He, Obviously, he's now invested in the whole Annette Bryant business. He does think of Jane momentarily, but he realizes that Jane is reflective of a part of his life that he wants to leave behind. Ugh, this, this trick is so bad. He wants so to bad. go straight with Annette, right? <clears throat> so that's Brian dealt with. Um, Jenks, we will pick up. Jenks, we will pick up in a moment. But what's happened with Miguel? Please tell me what's happened with Miguel. <laughs> Uh, do I have to? I'm afraid so. It's in the text. Well, um... I wish it wasn't, but there we go. So, uh, last week we, uh, had... We were forced to endure a, uh, kind of nightmarish rape-slash-torture scene where Miguel, uh, uh, performed some sort of, uh, kind of vague sexual violence upon Cynthia. A very horrifying chapter. Uh, where it seemed like Crichton was implying that his biggest crime was that he did not come and finish the job, so to speak. He left Annette, or sorry, you left Cynthia quivering in a state of erotic tension. 
Uh, well, Hugh, if you were uh, disappointed in our boy then, well, good thing he comes back to finish the job now, am I right? Yeah, actually, before he comes back to finish the job, there is a scene between Cynthia and Jean-Paul. So Jean-Paul is smarting from his encounter with Miguel. Mm. He's uh, injured in bed and Cynthia is tending to him. And she makes the observation that in his state, he looked quite terrible. He had ugly marks and scrapes all over his body and a nasty gash on his chin. Mm. Mind you, I'm quoting here. Too bad, she thought. But then Miguel was better in bed anyway. Miguel had that little extra something. Mm. And uh, when Michael Crichton says Miguel had that little extra something, he means Miguel had that little extra something of sexual assault, I guess, based on the last chapter. Uh, yeah, he's, he's more violent. He's a brutish. Uh, that's what, that's what uh, she wants. She wants to be... Uh... So then she goes to Miguel. Mm. So this is the end of Miguel's story. And I'll quote again. Maybe we'll play the uh, For Crying Out Loud theme song for good measure here, mm. even though I've been quoting liberally throughout this episode. But mm. go. Needle drop. He's riding and proud. Come on, let's hear it. Right about now. For crying out loud. Baby, Miguel said as she entered, Where have you been? What a body, he thought. What a body this chick had. It was like a rock and roll song. Whenever she took a step, it pounded in your head. Each little movement, each little twitch. So, good. Each tiny twitch, but close. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Why are you <laughs> such a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I feel like you've checked out of this episode. Uh, look, I had some stuff in my personal life. I know, I know, I know. Anyway, this is a great, great app. Yeah, it's great. So, um... <sighs> we could not record this now if you don't want to. I do want to. Okay, then let's record it. I was reacting again to the drink. <laughs> and I'm going to have another banana. My fourth banana in a row. <laughs> Just to wash the taste of uh, verbuth out of your mouth. I need something in my stomach if I'm going to drink a whole bottle of horrible vermouth. Don't drink an entire bottle. Come on. You forced me to. No, I didn't. Sorry, bro. You're forcing <laughs> yourself to. Um, I'm not going to drink the entire bottle, so. Coward. Not too bad. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not forcing you to drink. I think that's the worst thing to do. But I'm forcing you to drink. You can force me to drink. Again, I'm happy to martyr myself for the cause but i know yeah. that the podcast is not as important to you all right so okay. uh it's okay oh my god i fucking hate you <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so yes he does some little bit of sexualization and then uh you know they they become an item they uh smoke a little kef as it were and then uh, they prepare to have uh, intercourse Yes. I mean, I, th I think I think Cynthia put it best when she said, and I quote, I want to get very, very high, and then I want to make obscene love. For Christ's sake! <laughs> so, uh, just For to Crichton be clear, uh, so just to be clear, Crichton decides to end both of these people's stories with 
uh, a woman who has been abused um, being with her abuser. That's that's the end of it. That's the end of both of them. Yep. And they don't appear in the rest of this uh, up. So, so yeah, like we said, uh, we left Jinx drinking alone, drinking banana core alone at the bar. Uh, he decides to order it on the rocks, and the uh, bartender gives him a strange look. I didn't really understand that, to be honest. It's because uh, you don't normally order liqueur on the rocks. Uh, okay, well... I don't know if that's true, but that was the implication of the novel. Uh, I, just, I guess so, but I don't know. And uh, he's, he's, he's a little sad, you know? His plan didn't work out. The computer uh, let him down, I guess. Um... But uh, who should saddle up to the bar? But whom? You? Which which final character have we not accounted for? Jenny. And what what is she doing? She is approaching Jenks at the bar, and saying things like, "Steve, I've been looking for you." Hmm. What was she wearing? You ask. Why, a navy blue jumper, which softened the outlines of her body, making her appear younger, more girlish. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> This is not notable. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering. <laughs> it's not notable. Just in case you're wondering if the in- infantilization of women continues into the final chapter. Yes, it does. We, I think we already got that. Drink, he asked. What is it? Jenny inquired. Oh, my God. Banana liqueur on the rocks. An experiment in its own little way. <sighs> and she's like, <laughs> better get me a bourbon and water. Uh, I can't even drink to forget my... Sorrows at the podcast because the vermouth is so bad. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Jenks knows what's coming. He knows that Jenny has her heart set on leaving with him and going to Rome, which mm. was the original plan should the heist prove successful, which of course it didn't. It proved unsuccessful. So, with some difficulty, he finally manages to say, I'm not going to Rome. Unexpectedly, however, she responds with, yeah, I expected that, right? And this surprises Jenks. He says, what do you mean, why? She says, because it all fell through. What? What are you talking about? (laughs) You don't have to read this. We can just recap it. Her voice had been calm, but it sent shivers (laughs) down his spine. All your plans. Jenny, he said, say what you mean. So it seems as though Jenny knew what was going on. Why did she know, Hunter? Why? Because what you... clued her in? Uh, a couple of chapters back, we noticed the seemingly extraneous detail that uh, Jinx had left a blasty cap on his desk. And because uh, this detail that I had forgotten up to this point, uh, Jenny's family worked in the oil business. She had been around, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that means that she had been around blasty caps all of her life. <laughs> I didn't really see how I, I, I get the uh, conclusion there, but uh, that's what she says anyway. So, so yes, uh, so she's like, you're going to take me with you. Take me with you. Jinx that reveals that he's going to the Canary Islands for a little R&R. Then uh, basically Ginny blackmails him to get her to get him to take her along with them. 
That's the end of the book. <laughs> that is the end of the book. Maybe we should quote the last line. Go for it. Is riding proud? Come on, let's hear it. Right about now. Feel crying out loud. All right, he said. Lost Palmas it is. We'll leave tomorrow at nine o'clock. She smiled, a happy, radiant smile. I've already packed. The end. Before we discuss our feelings on the book of the whole, the chapter as a whole, where the chapter fits into the book of the whole, I'm going to get some more wretched uh, memories. Go ahead. And dispose of my four banana peels. Mm. Have you even eaten both of your bananas? Yep. Well, at least there's that. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. I'll be back. I'm back. Yeah, it's me. Thank, I'm back. Thank Christ. Thank Christ. Mm, mm, mm. I need to go on a quick tangent. Yeah, I forgot go. what the tangent was. Damn it. Go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So as you know, I drink, <laughs> I drink a lot all the time. Yeah, you're, you're, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> but, I, but I don't reach the point where I drink myself sick. Mm. So I don't experience hangovers, really, or anything mm. like that. I do wake up prematurely, mm. but I don't feel, like, discomfort as a result of that or anything like that. I don't wake mm. up with a headache, any, any of those no. uh, hangover side effects. Because for me, or at least my body is pretty good at detecting when I'm going to get sick, and I can usually detect that pretty accurately in advance. So if I start feeling nauseous as a result of drinking, I'll stop because it's no longer pleasurable, which makes sense to me, right? Mm. So it's not common that I actually throw up. But I still like harbor a desire to throw up because it's like at least I'll feel feel something. Mm. <laughs> so you know people who are like um depressed or whatever and that they like cut themselves with razor blades. Sure. I understand <laughs> I've never done that myself, but I do understand it. Why? What? Because sometimes I want to experience like the visceral sensation of throwing up just to like feel something, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah, you need to feel some, add some more stuff in your life, bud. That's <laughs> uh, that's pretty depressing. <laughs> I just wanted to add that in <laughs> to this podcast recording. <clears throat> Right, uh, well, I, know, I know, I know, I know, to be uh, fair. Oh my god, fair. oh my god, you're, you're totally ruining to be this fair. recording. To be fair, I'm ruining this recording, <laughs> I'm not. I'm the audio professional yeah. of this pairing. And, <laughs> and uh... <laughs> it's, it's 12.30 right now. 12, what do you mean it's 12.30? That's not actually late. It is for me, <laughs> I'm someone man. who works a night shift. <laughs> Yeah, so your worldview is defended. But 12.30 is not late by anyone's standards. You're talking about proper lateness. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's fucking get on with this. But this is what we've been building towards. This should be uh, a special episode. Let's finish the novel. Before we say what we think of this book as a whole, what did you think of this chapter, my friend? As a conclusion? Or just as the itself? Both. Uh, I thought it was bad. 
I I was I I did not like the resolution of the plotline at all. Uh, I thought that the sequence with Cynthia and uh, Miguel was terrible, um, and uh, I just, I just didn't think it was that an interesting uh, or creative solution to the to the problems that the novel had set up. So I was definitely expecting another twist. Mm. I can't remember if I finished saying this. I was too drunk and not to. Um, but when when we got to the section where. Miss Shaw throws the suitcase of valuables mm. over the side of the railing and it, you know, explodes everywhere. I thought that there was going to be another twist, right? Yeah, kind of. And there was going to be like a third set of thieves who were somehow involved. Yes, who you were did separate say to Miss Shaw, right? I did say that. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and obviously that, that does not transpire to be the case. But I will say, I actually like how he wraps up some of this chapter. Okay. Mm. Well, I don't like the stuff with Miguel and Cynthia. I think that puts a pall over the entire novel. Yeah. And also the power dynamic with Jenny and Jenks previously puts a pall over the entire novel. Yep, and the fact that they end up, uh, you know, but, together. But I like the fact that no one gets away with the valuables, right? Yeah, I, I wish someone had gotten away with the valuables. And Miss Shaw, Miss Shaw is unfussed about that. And she's like, well, let's just drink banana liqueur. And I appreciated that. I like the mm-hmm. bonding between Miss Shaw and Jinx, right? Well. But that was a good resolution. Uh, even though it is kind of an anticlimax, I didn't mind that. I kind of like that sort of anticlimax. But again, all of it is undone by, you know, sexual violence in the dynamic between Miguel and Cynthia and to a lesser degree in the dynamic between, um, in the dynamic between Jenny and Jenks. Mm. Nonetheless, I do appreciate the fact that Jenny gets to, you know, flip the tables on Jenks and that that's the note that the book ends on. She essentially blackmails him into taking her with him, which was not his plan. No, I, I didn't like that. I don't mind that as a construction. But um, I think now we should get to our feelings about the novel as a whole. I think this novel is not a good novel, right? I think mm. I think we're both on the same page. <laughs> we're both on the same page here, right? Tell me, if, tell me if I'm wrong. But this is not a good book. No. It's bad. It's not even good. It's not even good in its own genre. Yes. Yes. Indeed. But. I would be willing to forgive and enjoy a lot of this book if we didn't have the sexual assault stuff, right? Mm. Yeah. So if we didn't have the creepy way that um, Jenks manipulated Jenny and if we didn't have the outright rape fantasy that occurred in the last chapter with Miguel and Cynthia, if we extracted those, yes, there is still misogyny, but it's kind of like quaint... 60s misogyny not that it makes it any more acceptable but it's like you can kind of rationalize yeah you can kind of rationalize a way of like enjoying it as a as a time piece i feel like this is bad even for the time you know and uh yeah so that's that's my biggest criticism of the novel if Mm. you if you remove the specter of sexual assault and i'm borrowing a term that you employed in the previous episode then this would be an enjoyable, flawed romp, right? Yeah. But it becomes difficult to... (laughs) To read, yes. To both appreciate this as a novel and also 
look forward to the task ahead of us. <laughs> we have like five or six more of these thrillers to get through. I hope that when he dispenses the pseudonym John Large, he also dispenses uh, some of the misogyny that goes with it. <laughs> well, we got, we got disclosure ahead of us, bro. I know. We'll see. What did you think of the novel as a whole? Yeah, I think my I think I'm less charitable to it in that I think I think it 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 sets itself up well, you know, before the the but he's putting the pieces into place, right? Yeah, I think it's good. But as soon as you get to the hotel, Rita, I just feel like the novel slows down and it becomes, you know, uh, a lot of the misogyny comes during these sections too. Yeah, that's and true. I think there's just too much padding uh, in this, and it would be better if it were shorter, if there was some other twist, if the plot just was executed faster. There weren't, like, <laughs> seven or eight chapters of them just hanging out. And there weren't, like, drawn-out, boring <laughs> sex scenes that no one could care about. I feel it could be a much better experience to read, and you'd cut down on the misogyny, too. So I think that, uh, ultimately, this is a bad book, and uh, I would recommend anyone read it. No, I don't think I would either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, let me think. But, you know, this is like a Bond-esque book, and clearly, you know, Jinx feels these, like, brutal sexualities modeled on Bonds, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the Bond uh, films and books are is that they are fun, and there is some fun to be had in seeing, but it's all in diversion. As soon as the the pieces are established as soon as you know what the plot is I think it becomes Aladdin and sort of dull and I think that is the ultimate sin in terms of its plotting um, and you know what uh, the very misogynistic uh, depiction of like sort of submissive female sexuality I think is um, problematic and and hard to stomach um, but uh, I think that <laughs> Uh, you know, that's true for a lot of works that were produced during this time. And, you know, I think I, I think that I am fairly adept at, you know, reading something like this and being like, okay, that's, you know, this is vile, obviously, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to perform being woke or being like liberal when I say this, because like, you know, it's, it, I don't, I don't need to do that. It's, it's self-evidently so bad, you know, but uh, I think that. There's definitely the book to compensate. I think he goes a step beyond what I would have expected from the time, to be honest. I, I mean, maybe because the dominant cultural product that I've experienced in the 60s is film. And that's always tamer than what is in literature, you know? I suppose so. That's true. That's true. That I, w I wasn't too surprised. This, this, you know, felt in a similar vein to like Ian Fleming's Bond stories, I think. To me, anyway. Have you um, read any? I have not. No. Well, I read, um, I've read a couple when I was a teenager, but this fits my general, like, cultural image of them, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I can't say I was too... I mean, obviously, this, these scenes are, like, horrible. I mean, the, the real pornographic ones I thought were more unexpected, you know? Hmm. Like, the, the Jenny and Jinx scene, just how visceral and how explicit it is, surprised me because, yeah, Ghetto is just so explicit. But the, you know, chorus of sexual mechanics did not surprise me the slightest. No, I mean, the main thing I was surprised by was the inclusion of the Miguel and Cynthia 
uh, yeah. scene that we discussed last chapter. Yeah, that, that scene is, is pretty bizarre. Everything else I could kind of rationalize as like a product of its misogynistic time mm. to some degree. That one felt like it crossed a line because it was essentially rape fantasy, right? Yeah. I mean, the whole book is kind of a rape fantasy. But like explicit rape fantasy, there's like a rape fantasy inherent in the Mills and Boone style romance uh, novels. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Romance novels, like, targeted at women, mind you. The interesting thing about this novel is that it's seemingly aimed at males, right? Yeah. Yet, the execution of that is remarkably similar to the Mills and Boone novels that were aimed at females. Mm. Not that that's representative of what females actually want yeah. at the same time, but there is, like, a, a, a synchronicity between the two different cultural modes it's true. In that they, they, they celebrate this idea of the man dominating a woman despite her superficial reluctance initially or something like that. Um, okay, do we, well, do we have anything else we're going to talk about this book? I'm down to like the last quarter of the Vermouth book. <laughs> you, have a, you have a problem. <laughs> All you can do is complain about how disgusting this is. It's your fault. It's my fault. You egged me on. You're like, you have to finish the whole bottle. <laughs> I said it jokingly. And I was like, no, I want to I combat my alcoholism. You're like, you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, blame me. Because they're good at the <laughs> Suck my D. Because, like, okay, because being inebriated actually dulls your senses. So I can no longer smell, <laughs> I can no longer smell this disgusting bouquet <laughs> of mm. the vermouth. No, it just tastes terrible. It fucking tastes terrible. Who invented this shit? <laughs> I don't the know. Italians? Yeah. Why is it called vermouth if it's Italian? That's not a like vermouth. That's I don't not an know, Italian dude. word. Well, you should fucking know. <laughs> Suck my dick. Vermouth, Wikipedia. Let's have a look. <laughs> Ancient Greece. It's a French. The Greek? Pro- okay, no, it's the French pronunciation of the yeah, German French word. Fucking French. Vertimer. Vert. Moot for wormwood. What's it called in Italian? Because like all I don't the, know, probably vermouth. Sure, they have a different name for it, right? Oh my god! Uh... All right, uh, do we? Do you have any other uh, final thoughts you'd like to put into to the air about? Uh, I, I will on... finish the bottle. It should be on record, right? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, don't finish the bottle. It's not your fault, but I I should be like. Restraint. I should have consumed the entire bottle for this episode. At least one of us should uh, put their body on the line for the podcast, right? No way. Yes way. Hey, okay. <clears throat> Having read Odds On across 15 chapters mm. and uh, half that many weeks, are you at all excited to continue the exploration through... <laughs> Michael Crichton's bibliography. Well, maybe in a broad sense. Uh, and I'm, I'm a masochist, so I enjoy hurting myself. Hmm. I guess. So I'm not excited for the next book, I suppose, but whatever. Are you excited? Like, 
Early on in the reading of Odds On, if you had asked me the same question, my answer would be yes. I am actually excited. You know, I was enjoying this like pulpy thriller, and I do mean pulpy in its strictest in it, and I do mean pulpy in its strictest. <laughs> and I One do mean time. pulpy. <laughs> and I, I do, do mean pulpy in its strictest, strictest sense, sense, in that this is truly disposable fiction, right? Mm. So I was like, I, I'm, I would be happy to read more of this. But honestly, with the like, with the insistent misogyny of this novel, mm. that is only amplified as it's progressed somehow. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> I am less. <laughs> I am less enthusiastic about the prospect of uh, plowing my way through the rest of his <laughs> bibliography. Even though I know that, like, the books that made him famous are awesome, won't, won't feature misogyny <laughs> to this degree. That's true. I am sure that misogyny will be a persistent thread, as persistent a thread as technology itself. But I would highly suspect that he will temper some of the misogyny that his 24-year-old self injected into his debut novel, Odds On. Mm. If, 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 if not reflective of all of his actual beliefs, which I assume are incredibly misogynistic. I mean, again, this, this I don't dude, doubt it. This, this dude had as, as many wives as Igmar Bergman. I mean, come on. <laughs> Maybe even more. I don't know. I don't even know how many times Ingmar Bergman was married. Yeah, yeah. Bergman had five wives, and I think same, Crane, yeah. I think I think Crane also had five. So basically, they're equivalent. But the difference is that Crane only had two children, whereas Bergman had nine children. <laughs> he had nine children. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the difference is that uh, Bergman, uh, you know what, he may have done some misogynistic things, but I don't think his art reflects a misogynistic viewpoint necessarily. I don't think so either. But uh, Crichton's definitely does. So, Yep. Hope Maybe he'll prove us wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that his, his very famous feminist text, Disclosure, will... <laughs> <laughs> Is pro-sexual harassment uh, tracked. All right. Um, well, I think that's about it for odds on. Am I right? I mean, is it? Can I just refill my glass one more time? No. Please. I'm not going to let you do this to yourself. Please. <laughs> you're, you're just going to throw it up and then you're going to... I don't even feel sick, to be honest. <laughs> I think I'll be alright. Do, do whatever you want. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm turning the thing off because it's almost one o'clock here. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking but I think we should talk about like one more thing about odds on. Oh, fine. The bottle I bought is a full liter worth. That's a lot of alcohol. I've nearly finished it. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> because because you're pretty pressure. I'm not doing anything, bro. You're doing no, it to yourself. You're weak. I'm weak. Yeah, you're weak. Just like all alcoholics. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> yeah. Alright, uh what what is what is, what's your last word on odds on? I didn't have a last word on odds on. <laughs> there you go.
<laughs> one of the reasons to refill my glass. This 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 show is ended in a whimper, not a bag. No, 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 no. Like, 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 let's let's talk a little bit. Let's give it's it another ten minutes. minutes. Uh, no, That's no, all. no. Ten minutes is all. What I else ask. do you have to say? There's so much more to say. There's nothing else to say. Remember, I want to go to bed. I want to go to bed. Oh no, no, no. actually. <clears throat> This is something that I meant to bring up. Did you happen to look at the uh, ancillary material included at the end of the novel uh, of this particular ebook edition of Odds On? I did not. I did. All right, please. And on a previous episode of this podcast, I criticized Michael Crichton for his knowledge of. I criticized Michael. Crichton regarding his knowledge of computers of the uh, of the time. <laughs> oh, you wanted to speak just a little bit more, huh? You can't get off one sentence. In regards to the fact that, like, you know, the way that he has integrated this this computer modeling into this heist is kind of ludicrous, right? Uh huh. But but guess what? <laughs> Yes. He does have credibility when it comes to computer modeling with IBM computers to boot. Uh-huh. And uh, at the end of the particular ebook version that we both uh, enjoyed, we see some of his papers that he actually published after having utilized some sort of IBM computer to model something. What's it in model, you ask? Mind you, this is a quote, but I will quote. The name of the paper that he published, the scientific paper, was a multiple discriminant analysis of Egyptian and African Negro crania. <laughs> Did you say he's a phrenologist? I, th- I think a friend, <laughs> Michael Crichton, is indeed a phrenologist. So now that you know that he's a uh, phrenologist, uh, does that change your opinion of him at all? Uh, I can't say that I'm surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Does it change your opinion of him at all? Does it change my opinion of famed climate change skeptic Michael Crichton? Alright, I finished. Done. I'm done. Great, I'm hitting stop.